We're going to look at scripture together today, and um, I want you to take your Bible, if you will, please, and turn to the book of James, all right? And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'll get my act together here in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you'll find this one in the pew rack in front of you. And James is right towards the end of the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you get as far as Revelation, you've gone too far, but back up a little bit from there, and you'll discover and you'll see... The book of James, if you go backwards to Hebrews, you've gone too far, they, mirror, they back up against each other, okay? And um, we want you to, I want you to be really familiar with scripture, and so um, grab that Bible. As a matter of fact, I came across a comic that describes kind of how I feel about this, because we, we want you to hold that Bible in your hand, or hold your, your smartphone or, or a tablet or something, and be used to looking at scripture. And I came across a comic that describes that uh, just this week, or just a couple weeks ago, and some of you may mirror this. Do, do, does the pastor really think our biblical literacy is so poor that we need these pew Bibles? Okay, that's a fair question that probably some of you are asking today, right? You're going, man, he's always telling us to hold our Bible. Take a look at the next slide, and it's, that's a hymnal. <laughs> if, you're, if you've got a blue book in your hand and it's got little squiggly lines in it, that's a hymnal. That's where music comes from. We're going to read from the Bible today. And uh, <laughs> the reason we do that is because we want to be certain that you become familiar with Scripture and that you use Scripture as a growing tool. As a matter of fact, one of the mission, the mission of our congregation is that we would help you become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and that you would do that through us growing and serving together. And one of the ways in which we grow together is to look at Scripture on a regular basis. So we're going to do that today. And I want to tell you there's an arc to today's message. It's going to start really with the cross of Christ. And then we're going to go through some stories and look at Scripture. And then we're going to end over at the cross of Christ as well. And to set the stage for that, I've asked this to come and join me on the stage up here. And we're going to take some of you back to that hymnal of years gone by. I'm inviting you to sing along with Les. Um, and uh, let's see what, if, if this could bring any memories. And uh, as I said, set the stage for where we're headed in the message today, headed all the way to that cross over there or one like it. Let's, let's sing together. Oh.
at the end of the last service, thanks Les, at the end of the last service I had a lady come to me and say, man, you took me back to sit in the front room with mom. She put on uh, um, Tennessee Ernie Ford and we'd listen to that on the phonograph. For some of you that maybe does go back a long way, but it really is where we're headed. Not to go back, but to go forward. And to go forward understanding the work of the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives. And to do that, we're starting a new sermon series today. It's based on the book of James. And uh, we thought, as we were looking at sermons throughout 2015, as the staff looked at that, hey, we've got to start in uh, 2015 with, and set some parameters, set some bookends around the way in which we want to live in this coming year. And so this, this series over the next six weeks is to take the book of James and see what practical insights that we can put into our lives for this coming year. To that end, I invite you this week to read through the whole book. We're going to be using lots of the book over the coming weeks. So just read through it. You can do it in one sitting or you can do a chapter a day or whatever you wish. Read through the whole book and do that regularly over the next few weeks so you have a good familiarity of what's coming your way. We've titled the series based on two words that come out of chapter 5 where it says, remember this. And James is saying, this is something you should remember. And there are lots of things throughout the book that we should remember. We gave it some other titles along the way, your best life for... 2015 or the prescription for what ails you in 2015, but frankly, it sounded just a little bit too Walmart-like. Sounded a little bit too much like pop theology. Fair enough, that's good enough, but really we thought, let's go back to some biblical language. Remember this. These are the things to remember, and James, as he tells us what to remember, really has some authority to tell us what to remember. For this reason, he was the half-brother of Jesus. Did you know that? The guy who wrote this book, we believe, was raised in the same household as Jesus Christ. You know the story, perhaps. Mary learns that she's going to be pregnant uh, through a work of the Holy Spirit, no sexual activity with a man. She's engaged to a fellow, but they have no contact with each other in that regard, and she ends up pregnant, and Jesus is born, and there's a fellow standing by her side, her fiancé, who became her husband, Joseph. And we know that um, in the years after that, while scripture says they had no relationship sexually before Jesus was born, it says that after he was born, that they moved on with a regular family and there were other children who were added to the family, siblings of Jesus, if you will, younger, essentially half-brothers and half-sisters, but Joseph was the devoted dad, he was the um, adoptive dad, and I've often wondered, what do you think it would be like to have Jesus as an older brother? Don't, don't you wonder if there was ever some point where somebody said, Jesus, you're so spoiled. And Jesus, you're just the golden child. You never do anything wrong. Jesus couldn't, how we go? You're make, the, the standard is so high. Could you just lie once? We'll point back to it regularly, but could just lie once so that how are we supposed to keep up with that? And from that perspective... Uh, this gentleman writes the book of James. And as I said, I invite you to turn to chapter one this morning and let's see what he has to say having grown up in the household with Jesus. He writes this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And off he goes. First of practical uh, ways to live in 2015. 
consider it pure joy. I love joy. Good, good. Okay, I'm in for joy. My brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I'm not liking this so far. You know, you want me to be joyous in the middle of trials. Okay, why? Well, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Pretty rough language to start the series, right? Gee, Wayne, this is really exciting. You're going to talk about trials today? Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. Because if this material was penned by Jesus' half-brother, then he would have had some significant understanding of what it would be like to have trials and tribulations within your life. I mean, just think about what his home life would have been like as a little boy. You got the golden child ahead of you, literally. And then you've got, you're back in Nazareth and surely people being what they're like, uh, there would have been comments in Nazareth about the way in which the family was first formed. You know, don't you wonder if there were conversations across the backyard fences of like, well, can you believe that crazy woman, Mary? She's still telling that old story, that Jesus, you know, the oldest, I've done the math. I've done the math and it doesn't add up. We were all, we knew they weren't married and she had the, can you believe she's telling the story still that that baby was born by immaculate conception? Give me a break. Give me a break. Why, what, 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 that's quite the story to cover up their teenage passion. Why, why don't, you th- don't you think Joseph and Mary should just come clean? We'd, we'd all accept it. Okay, so they were young and they were in love and things got out of control and she ended up pregnant. Let's go with that. That'd be okay. Their story is so far-fetched. You could hear them, the conversations, couldn't you? It's crazy. Man, those poor kids. Being raised in a, in a house like that where they don't tell the truth. <laughs> he must have, James must have had a life at times that was pretty rough. Just from the way in which people would have talked about their family. As a matter of fact, we have reason to believe that it wasn't uh, until later in life, probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s, that, jo- that uh, James actually began to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's a passage in John d- chapter 7 where, in, where we have an indication that the story was so out of the norm that James and his other siblings didn't actually believe it. We think that actually James and his siblings only began to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God after the resurrection. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's this passage that talks about an encounter post-resurrection that Jesus had with James, and at that point, James began to believe. Slow train coming. Right there, Jesus in front of him, and yet until he's an adult, he doesn't really get it. Yet eventually he did convert, And because of his knowledge of Jesus and because of just the authority that that carried, he eventually became the recognized leader of the early Jerusalem church. He, in fact, became, you could put it this way, the first bishop. And once his authority was established, James, the guy who wrote this book we're reading today, it was James who pushed a decision that caused you to be sitting in the pews you're sitting in today. Seriously. 
Absolutely the case because there was great debate as to whether or not Gentiles, non-Jewish people, could be followers of Jesus Christ. And I assume most of us are Gentiles here today, perhaps not all of us, but nonetheless, those of us who are, it was James that said, hey, this business of Jesus coming to save the world isn't just for Jewish, Jewish people, but it's for all people. And with that, the church was established for not just the people who lived in Jerusalem who were Jewish, but for people around the world. We are here today as a result of a decision that James made and articulated on behalf of um, on behalf of the rest of the apostles. And I find hope in that story because your slow train coming friend, your slow train coming family member who is yet not connected with Jesus Christ, I'm convinced if we watch the story of James, that person can discover the reality of following Jesus Christ as well. It may, it may be a ways off yet, but I'm convinced that you have a lot of James in your family, in your life. And you can believe that they're gonna to come to know Jesus Christ because this man knew struggle and as he knew struggle, then I think his words can help us. His early life must have been confusing. We could put it this way. He obviously walked many miles in the moccasins of muck and mire and mud. And he, he helps us answer the questions that we face when we're saying, okay, this is the way it is. This is really, uh, life's not what I had hoped it would be or life's a struggle or life's a hardship and where's the upside in that? Because that's what he's talking about here. He wants us to answer this question. What is the upside of pain and difficulty? And James says it's joy and persevering maturity. Did you catch that? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish at work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in the midst of the struggles you face, uh, do you see the work of God calling you to be persevering and mature? Perhaps we need God eyes. I mean, we have all kinds of struggles, don't we? We have Relational struggles within our families or within our marriages or within our vocational setting. There are even relational struggles in many local congregations. We face financial struggles, some in this room, maybe today or in times in the past. You have faced more bills or perhaps you do face more bills than you have resources. Others in the room today, if you could be honest and bear your soul, you'd say, I have, for lack of a better term, a migraine in my soul. It just won't go away and it feels overwhelming. We have questions about poor health and we go, man, how come, how come my life is being impacted by this poor health when the person next door, I mean, they, they live like you know what and it doesn't seem to impact their bodies in any way or some of us have struggles in our spirituality. And sometimes, sometimes we say, okay, I, I I'll be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ from that passage we read earlier. And in all the things that come my way, I'm going to work them out. And it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's kind of like, okay, I can make that happen. I can work that out. But what happens when they just don't come one after the other, but they actually stack one on top of each other? That's a different deal, right? When all those trials come your way that way, how is it that you're going to survive? Where can you find joy in that? Because there are many kinds of difficulties that we face. James says there are trials of many kinds. And it's interesting, as I was working with this, um, with this passage of, of late, this, uh, the New Testament was written uh, 
in Greek, okay? We, we, we work from Greek when we're looking at it to see, do some biblical exegesis and study it. And the words that say many kinds in Greek have only one companion in Hebrew in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, only occurs one time. And whenever you see something unique like that, then you need to look and say, okay, what is going on between the Old Testament and the New Testament? If there were a lot of places where the word was found again in the Old Testament, it wouldn't be so significant. But the one time it happens, what's going on there? It's found in a very unusual story. You've got this trials of many kinds in James. And then you've got a story that you wouldn't expect to find it, namely Joseph. You know the story of Joseph? And it's the story of Joseph and his coat of many kinds of colors, his ornate robe. Some of you may have seen the, the musical uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's what this is about. And the, why are those two together? It's fascinating. One, if you knew the story of Joseph, you could say, well, I could figure it out. Well, let me tell you the story of Joseph. Joseph is a young guy about 17 years of age. He's got 11 older brothers and one younger brother. And uh, He's his father's favorite son. And his father, in, a, in acts of really poor fatherhood, keeps giving gifts to Joseph that he doesn't give to the rest of the family. And so uh, his dad creates a real sense of jealousy between Joseph and his other brothers. And it, it culminates in his dad giving him a glorious coat made of many colors and richly, ornately put together. And Joseph is a little bit proud of it, and he goes around showing it to his brothers, and they really despise him for it. And one day, there are the 11 of them, the, the 11 oldest, including Joseph, are often in the wilderness taking care of some animals. And the brothers decide they've had it up to here with him, and they're going to kill him. The oldest brother says, don't kill him. Let's, look, there's, a, there's a, an empty well right there. Let's throw him down there for a while and leave him down there. But the, the, the 10 other brothers, they want him dead. And so they're about to kill him when, by all, of all things, what comes along but a, a, a traveling band of slave traders. And they come, come kind of wandering by, and the brothers hatch a, hatch a plan. It would be fun to kill him, but his misery would be over. We wanted to be miserable for a long time. Let's sell him as a slave. So they sell him as a slave, and he's carted off to Egypt. And they took his robe... And they dipped it in the blood of a dead animal and took it back to dad and said, look, Joseph was killed. Here's what's left of him. In the meanwhile, Joseph is sent off to Egypt and he's making his way through the ranks of slavery to the point where he gets, starts to kind of get a little bit out of it. You know, he's starting to have a little bit of success, if you will. He's still a slave when he was falsely accused of rape, thrown in prison. He was in prison for years. But again, he begins to make his way. He gets released from prison. To make a long story short, as a slave, he is appointed the prime minister of Egypt. And as prime minister of Egypt, as he's responsible for the economic affairs of the nation, he sees that there's, um, there's going to be a famine coming, and he begins to collect food and store food in granaries. And eventually, when the famine comes, there's enough food to feed all of Egypt. And even his family from Canaan, Walk, they, they travel all the way over to Egypt and they approach the prime minister unaware that this is their brother. And they say, we need food. Will you give it to us? He reveals who he is and they are stunned. They thought he'd be long dead by now. And it's been many, many years and he, he says, great language, he says, what you meant for evil, the way in which you treated, you thought you were hurting me and I guess it did hurt me and I understand, but now in retrospect, what you meant for evil God meant for good. I like that story. 
Because in the long run, his coat of many colors brought joy to his family. His coat of many kinds, trials of many kinds, brought joy to the family. Now, it's important when you hear that, that there, there was a time lag between Joseph's struggles and his full understanding of why it all took place. In fact, it was a really, really long time, years. And you should be aware of this. The time lag between the struggles that you live in today and the, when you might experience joy in them, that might be many years. And why is that? Because James says that in this, we learn about perseverance. Did you see that in verse 3? You know that the testing of your faith does what? Produces perseverance. How's that going for you? Are you joyful in your trials today? None of us are, are we? But what could we learn about that? And where could we find the joy? What could we say about this business then. Some observations in the context of our lives today when we feel like some of us today feel like we've been thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, and our joy has been robbed and dipped in the blood of a dead animal. That's where some people are living today. I get it. So what do we say in moments like that? We have to go with what James says. He says that mature faith, the kind of faith that we all want, that faith is based on having God-informed eyes for the future. Namely, can you use God's eyes to see where God's leading and sending you? In the midst of the present difficulties, can you believe for better days in 2015? Did you know that you are made in the image of God and God is a creative God and you can have God's creative creativity work through you to see a bigger picture? That means you get to persevere. You not only must, but you get to persevere in 2015. And here's how. Perseverance is a decision. It's something you decide to do or something you decide not to do. It doesn't just happen. It's something you've got to decide to do. Will you decide to persevere? Will you decide to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, regardless of how this plays out? Maybe you know where that statement comes from. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It comes from a book in the Old Testament called the book of Job. Do you know the story of Job? It's kind of a rough story, to be honest. Job is a guy who's doing really well in life. All of the decisions that he's made in life have really turned out well. He's kind of one of these guys who always, as I would say, always lands. Whenever he makes a mistake, he always lands with his rear end in the butter and he's swimming around in the good life. You know, he's like that kind of guy. And he's got all kinds of financial resources. He's got a lovely family. You should see the spread of his house. It's gorgeous. He's got more animals. He knows what to do with. And he's got a lovely wife. And it's like all his splendor. It's until uh, he, he gets caught in this odd conversation in heaven. Satan and God are talking. And God says, have you seen my, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, well, the only reason he's your servant is because you, you've always let him land in the butter. He's always swimming in the good life. And, and God says, no, he honors me regardless. And Satan says, nah. And so God says, well, in that case, if you can do anything you want to him, you just can't kill him. Let's see how he, how he performs. I don't really like it, but he kind of becomes like a pawn almost. You get the idea? It's, he's, it's not his fault, but Satan just unleashes a fury of evil stuff on him. First of all, his, his children, his whole family are killed. 
Then all of his livestock and his financial resources are gone. He is destitute. And then finally, beyond that, he gets really, really sick. And you have this picture of him in scripture where he's, he's, he's out in the backyard, literally sitting on the ashes, sitting on the fire heap, and he's got boils all over his body. And he takes a piece of broken pottery and he scrapes those boils off to get the pus out. I mean, you're talking about a miserable life. He's got three friends who come along and say, you really messed up. God must really hate you. His wife even takes on the same role. She comes to him and says, look, Job, anybody else looking at this situation would obviously see God hates you. You should curse God and die. That's the natural human inclination given all the pain that you're suffering. And you know what he says? He says, mm-mm. I'm going to decide to persevere. And he uses this language. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Could you say today, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm going to stand, I'm going to believe, I'm going to, I'm, going to hold, I'm going to be more than a conqueror that neither death nor life nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you land there? Jesus mentions this. At one point, he's talking about the people who persevere and he talks about people who are farmers. And he says that in Luke 8 that he, he talks about how farmers persevere in waiting for uh, seed that they've planted to grow. We've got lots of farmers in the life of our church and our community or people who are related to the farm industry around here. And I think you know that farmers are people of faith, aren't they? Think about what a farmer does. A farmer puts seed in the ground and then a farmer has to persevere in waiting. They have to wait, sometimes a long time. I mean, <laughs> if it were me farming, I'd put the seed in, I'd be back three hours later to see with a green shoot, and there's nothing there, right? But they put that seed in the ground, and then they wait. They wait for God's care and God's nature to work on that seed in the ground. And they expect God's care and God's water, God's heat, God's sun, and God's soil nutrients all to combine to produce a plant. And it takes time. Mature Christians are the ones who say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and I will hold on to a piety of life and works, and I will wait, and I will believe. We ground that believing, we ground that waiting in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what mature Christians do. We say, I will wait in the cross of Christ. You know, I've been studying the lives and the beliefs of those in our nation who do not ground their lives in the cross of Christ of late. Uh, sadly, the, that number of people who no longer believe is a growing number. It's part of my thinking about how we as a congregation are going to reach 10% of our community in the next 10 years. How are we, go we need to know who we're reaching out to. And I need to tell you, there's some dismal stuff coming down the pike in many ways. Churchlessness or people who have no interest in the things of church or the things of Christ, that number is growing in our land. 
1990 through that, first decade, that last decade of the last century. It was around 30% of the people in our land said, don't talk to me about the things of Christ. In 2000 and in the years thereafter, it was around right at a third, 33% of the people in our country said, I'm not interested. But it's picking up speed and tempo. Do you know that last year in the surveys about whether or not you're interested in things about Christ and what the census had to tell us, 43% of Americans say, don't talk to me about things of Jesus. I want to tell you, friends, as the people of God here at First Christian Church, our days ahead, we're going to have to work fast and furious because if we don't get the message of Jesus Christ to these people, they're headed to hell eternally. If their lives are not grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ, it's a mess, not only now, but in the future. And I would ask you this question. What about you? Are you grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ? Because if, you, if you're not, then all this talk of joy and working through struggles and trials, it's of naught because you don't have the grounding of Jesus Christ. You don't have the ability to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a bad place to be. But if you are grounded in the cross of Christ, you can face the trials of life, the trials of many kinds with a far-bred approach. Because sometimes... When we're faced with trials, some of the best ways to approach it is to say, I'm just going to be involved in quiet waiting. But sometimes then, even in the midst of waiting, we also have to actively push against affliction and evil. And either way, we hold to the cross and we pray. Because on the one hand, while Christians are called to be those who reach out and touch the weak, the lost, and the lonely, on the other hand, persevering faith of the Christian kind is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak. It's not for those who are looking for a crutch. It takes great courage to follow Jesus Christ. Particularly since the the, the trend and the tide seems to be going the other way, we're swimming upstream. This courage that we need to follow Christ involves waiting and expecting and hoping. It It means hoping and sometimes it even means walking through what the psalmist describes of pain and struggle, the valley of the shadow of death. That's really what it's like. Wayne, you are just making it all fun today, aren't you? No, not really. But I believe you're up for the task. And apparently James did too. That's why James mentions joy in this context. He knows about the grounded and firm foundation of Jesus Christ, and he knows of the steadiness of mature faith, despite appearances otherwise. And let me explain it this way. This past week... um, We took all the staff, we went and spent a day in prayer and study and thinking and planning and just kind of orienting our life as a staff group into the things of 2015. We went up to Little Galilee camp up just south of Clinton and we brought in Neil Windham, who's one of the um, professors at Lincoln Christian University. And he led us through some number of things. Really good time. And one of the things he had us do was review Isaiah 40. And one verse, verse 31 really stuck out to me. It's the, excuse me, it's the verse that says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll, war, they'll, they'll, they'll soar like wings, and they'll get wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And that's a great verse, right? And he made a comment that I found really helpful that I want to bring to you this morning. And it goes back to this walking and running business that you can see there. And I, I've been a runner most of my life. I used to uh, be able to run really fast, it would be nothing when I was in my 20s. I say really fast. I mean, I'm not a marathon or anything like that or anybody who did. did. But, you know, I, I would run six, eight, ten miles with me and my buddies. We'd run a seven-minute, you know, pace. And that was pretty good. And um, 
These days, I don't need to run quite so fast, which is good because I can't. Uh, in the wintertime here, I go up to the track at the Y and I go around the track up there. And in this kind of weather, there are lots of people up there. Some are fast and some are slow. And since my heart procedure of last month, I've taken a little bit slower. And so I walk two laps and run one lap. And, you know, um, so you talk to me right now about running and not growing weary and not walking and not being faint. Uh, Dr. Wyndham had a comment he made. That seems to resonate with me. He said, okay, it's great to be able to run and not grow weary, but sometimes the best you can do is walk and not fall over. Right? Just fall and not faint. <laughs> In the midst of your struggle this week, you don't have to worry about being the fastest to lose many kinds of trials that are mentioned by James. You might be able to run and not grow weary. More power to you. All right? Praise the Lord. But... I do know this, at times simply walking without fainting, that's often good enough. And it might not be pretty, but at least you're walking and you're upright. That's why this cross, or what it represents, is so important. And that's why this particular cross is here today. So we have a lovely cross back here that Jim Callop has built for us 18, 19 years ago now. And it's, it's, it's directly proportional. And if you get up close to it, you can see the grains of the wood and it's polished and it's beveled on the sides and it's, it's big and it's, I mean, it's, it's a piece of furniture. It's a piece of art. It's lovely. But it's covered up today for this cross, which is not quite so pretty, is it? This cross over here, can I tell you, it's been in the life of this church longer than I have. So I don't know how long it's been around. A lot of years. I think it used to be a telephone pole. If you get up close, it's sliced in half. And um, whenever we get it out, we have to repair it every time because it falls apart. And it's pretty rugged and ragged and, I mean, it's chewed up. It's kind of like your life. Because your life is not so neat and tidy and all the lines just perfectly straight, is it? If you really examine your life, there are lots of chips and lots of holes and lots of places where you're beat up. As a matter of fact, as we put this cross up this week, a chip of wood came off it about this big. And I thought, well, that's really symbolic because it's kind of how some people are facing what there is in front of them this week. They know that there's a hammer about to come down and another piece of your life is going to be chipped off by somebody that you already know is going to be rude and ugly to you. And you just wonder how you're going to make it. Hold on to the hope of Jesus' cross, ladies and gentlemen. And as you do so, hear the word of the Lord today. One page back from the first chapter of James, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read this. Let us run. Well, some of us aren't going to run. We're going to walk without fainting, okay? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's the joy again, but where's the joy connected? Who for the joy set before him did what? Endured the cross. Struggle and trial and joy all at the same time. Scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's living for 2015. Would you pray with me please?
Lord God in heaven, hear our prayers today. Hear our concerns about how we're going to live our lives in a way that best reflect you, in a way that um, enable us to experience the best of what you have for us. God, I pray for people in this room who this week are going, man, if you only knew, Wayne, if you only knew what's in front of me, you, you, you wouldn't believe it. Well, I might not, but God will, and God does. Again, Lord, I'm thankful that you're a God who is close, not a God who is far away. And that if Jesus could endure the cross for the joy set before him, then we will be people in the midst of struggle say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We land there, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned to you that we've got an arc to today's service that starts with the cross and ends with the cross. We're going to step into communion together today. And I want to remind you what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Here's a guy who's given his all for his friends and one of his friends actually does him in, literally. And yet he still gave. Why? He endured the cross for the joy set before him. We read this. That on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. This this morning, as you feel that wafer go across the back of your throat, take a moment to just kind of focus on that wafer going down. And remember that Jesus did it for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. And remember to me, when you drink from the cup today, let that liquid go across the back of your throat and be reminded, hey, this physical sensation of swallowing, Paul the Apostle says that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I land there, I plant my feet firmly at the foot of the cross and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the coming of Jesus Christ, for his powerful work in our lives. I can't get past it, God. It boggles my mind. not into temptation.